Early Breakfast, 7.02, this morning. Lucas van der Merve, good morning. Good morning. Lucas, I, I just want to start here. Um, Zoom versus Skype, what's the major difference? There's quite a number of differences. So the traditional Skype that we all know and love is a free option that has very limited functionality compared to Zoom. Uh, from a video chat point of view, that's one of the reasons Zoom has taken off and become so popular, especially under lockdown. It allows you to uh, connect a lot more people, up to 100, when you don't pay for the platform. So the free option gives you a lot more functionality. And the broader functionality is far richer than what you would have in Skype. Uh, for example, the ability to record conversations, to have the ability to share your screen if you do presentations, etc. Right. So that's why Zoom compares very well with the premium platforms versus Skype. And is there a difference in how the platforms are securitized? There's always a difference between how platforms are secure. Uh, Zoom obviously has been in the press lately for a number of reasons. Uh, but we have to consider that this is a platform that many people use for free and it has grown in the last few months from 10 million daily subscribers to over 200 million daily subscribers. And this contributed to many of those security flaws being exposed. And uh, while I'm saying that, on the one hand, I also have to say for the most part, though, Zoom is still relatively safe to use for most users. Right. Let's talk about what has been some of the security uh, bridges that we've seen, some of perhaps the, the, the short-sightedness on behalf of the engineering team at Zoom. Uh, why has it been so easy uh, for a lot of hackers uh, to hack and hijack people's meetings? Uh, a good buddy of mine had a meeting the other day uh, with his bosses and he set up the meeting. He was the invitee, inviter, and a, a, a group of uh, neo-Nazis uh, hijacked the meeting and started screaming and typing uh, racial slurs and it was just a whole mess uh, why is that even possible to begin with so let's note there's a, there's a few issues that's popped up over the last few months and the one you've just mentioned unfortunately we cannot blame on zoom uh, that's rather the user's uh, lack of knowledge about how to secure the platform so that's generally referred to as zoom bombing we've seen different instances as the one you've mentioned we've seen where people share inappropriate content in public forums uh, variations thereof lots and the reason for that is when a zoom meeting is set up a link is created to the meeting itself and that link is distributed publicly and if you don't set up your meeting room or the platform you use with to use a password first of all then anybody can click on that link and join your meeting so we can get to the end of the conversation. I'll highlight some common sense tips that anybody can take into account for this. But Zoom bombing, for the most part, we can't blame on Zoom. Uh, there are options that you can use to secure the platform, and that would take care of all of those or most of those issues. There's also been some leaks reported, uh, user IDs and passwords being available for sale. But then if we take that as an indicator as to whether you to use a platform or not, we should all stop using Facebook and Twitter and other right. social media platforms. Right. Because they've also been hacked and their data has also been leaked. So there's a lot Zoom could have done better around privacy. They have a, up to recently, their privacy policy was, uh, no, should I say rather, left a lot to be desired. It basically gave them the right to do anything they wished with your data. 
Uh, that's been amended. Uh, there's been some issue with the way that recordings were stored, uh, so people, other people could potentially access recordings, but there's also a password option that can be set on that. Outside of the Zoom domain, there's been a lot of phony domains being created, so websites and, and other facilities that look like Zoom but is not, and these are operated by criminals. So again, can't really blame Zoom for that one. There's also an option to download the desktop version of Zoom that's published by criminals that contains malware. And again, that's not directly related to Zoom. So I'm not excusing them. There has been some gaps and some concerns. Uh, they've worked really hard over the last few months to address most of those. But for the most part, if you take a few basic precautions, the meetings are safe, uh, the platform is safe to use, it is secure. Um, I would still say I, I wouldn't recommend using Zoom if you're discussing state or trade secrets, but for most people having general conversations, education, etc., for that purpose, Zoom is relatively safe to use. So you mentioned some uh, precautionary measures people can take to secure it, to make sure that there's a password to enter the meeting um, uh, and that sort of thing. But for people who have much larger conferences, I think that becomes administratively much more difficult to do. What are some of the other precautions uh, that uh, that can be taken by those who set up Zoom meetings? So let's first talk about the general user because... The detail settings that's available to an administrative user is very extensive and we'd probably run out of time before I get halfway through that list. So for that one, I would recommend anybody using this for corporate purposes do a bit of a search on Google uh, on Google for uh, Zoom hardening. There are 30-odd different settings and can be adjusted from that point of view. But for the average individual, the first one is don't share meeting invites publicly. So if you need 10 people to attend a meeting, send the invite directly to those 10 people. If you publish it on social media or on a website, anybody can click on that link. Now, following that, uh, any Zoom user has a personal meeting ID. And the default option normally is when you set up a new meeting, it uses your personal meeting ID. But that basically means that anybody that dialed into your 8 o'clock meeting and stayed in the meeting could possibly listen to all your other meetings through the course of the day. So don't use the personal meeting ID, rather generate a random meeting ID as far as possible. And then most importantly, use passwords. So when you send a meeting invite, make sure that there's a password. So if you had to publish the meeting invite somewhere where it could be publicly seen, make sure that the passwords are only sent to the authorized participants of the meeting. But then there's an option on top of that that allows you even more control. There's a waiting room function which means anybody that joins the meeting won't be admitted into the room until the organizer let them in. That means any invited guests won't yeah. necessarily directly get into the meeting, so you would have to let them into the meeting. That's a great option to use as well. And then as an organizer, you have a number of rights that you could restrict for participants. Uh, for example, annotation. So don't, by default, allow people to make notes on the screen. As you've mentioned, your friends meeting were disrupted. People could say things. They could write things on screen using the annotation feature. They could share video or other content. So don't allow all participants to share without your authorization. And then a last one, but if you use passwords, that's less important. But there is a function that enables uh, an announcement of any unidentified or unauthorized user joining the meeting. So everybody's aware that somebody's just joined and can ask questions or verify whether it's appropriate. Right. As, a, as an organizer, you can also eject meetings of people from your meetings or mute them. So as the 
organizer, I think there's a little bit of work that everybody can do to familiarize themselves with the controls available. There's some basic ones that makes it a lot safer. And if you're the administrator using it for corporate reasons, there's a lot more that you can do. Uh, there's been a lawsuit registered against Zoom in its, uh, in its capital where its headquarters are in California and the CEO came out and said over the next 90 days there's an action plan to make the platform more secure. Does that mean some of these settings and regulations will change on a continuous basis and if so, how do users keep up? So first of all, yes. <clears throat> Zoom has been sending out regular updates uh, to both their platform and, and their uh, policies. So that's an ongoing activity, and we've seen some significant progress there. In terms of keeping up, there's two parts to this. If you use the desktop application for Zoom, make sure that you keep it updated, because as they release new patches or updates and, and additional security features, you have to get that. Most people, on the other hand, use the internet browser-based version, and that doesn't require any updates because every time you log in, you obviously log into the latest platform of Zoom. And then I would just suggest that if you're serious about security and privacy, use Google and make sure you stay up to date with some of the changes. There's a lot published about what Zoom's been doing yeah. over the last few weeks. Yeah. Lucas van der Merwe, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Incredibly valuable. Uh, and hopefully chat to you again uh, once uh, Zoom is much more secure to just catch up on what some of the latest um, system changes have been that users need to be aware of that they may not be aware of at surface value. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That is Lucas van der Merwe, who is a, uh, a, a systems uh, and security specialist at T-Systems South Africa.